So obviously we've been talking a little bit about money here at the church. Last week, Ken talked about money and I am going to continue on in that vein. We're going to keep the series going. Today, our message is about how to be weird with your money. And last week, one of the things that stood out to me that Ken mentioned was how we make so many decisions with our money. We make tons of decisions with our money. And by the way, feel free to throw out questions. Uh, we've got tech people all over the place in the back that can answer questions. I can't see them, but feel free to throw out questions or comments or whatever, make it interactive, whatever you'd like. So we make all these decisions with our money. And what Ken was trying to get us to see was how do we bring God into that equation? Because we make all these decisions that are based on money but how do we get God to come into the equation so that we can healthily make decisions with our money? So another thing that I thought was interesting is we have to combat what the culture says about money because oftentimes we're hit only by what the culture says about money. So there's these things that are happening and, and the only sort of teaching we get about money is from the culture. And what was interesting last week is when we talked, I talked with all my friends after, and a lot of them said, I can't believe that I don't have a philosophy on money. The only philosophy I have is the culture's philosophy. So when I hear this in church, it's kind of like, almost like I'm waking up to something, and we're trying to build a philosophy around money, a church biblical philosophy around money. Another thing we I wanted to mention too, that rich people are good people. Some rich people are good people. And it's easy when we start talking about money to sort of forget about those who have a lot of wealth and those people are still welcome in the kingdom as long as they're leveraging it properly. So rich and poor, it's just sort of, we just have to level ourselves and come under the Bible and what it says so that we can learn basically what it means to be biblical with our money. Another thing that was funny we talked about is if your credit card could talk or your money could talk, what would it say? And I think that's really, really interesting to have at the forefront of our minds as we're entering into this discussion. So during the sort of beginning of this series, I had tons of time to think and read and go all over the place to kind of start to think, see what I think about money. And one person who, whose advice I really take uh, wisely is Dave Ramsey, who's this uh, financial guru in the United States. And he talks tons about money. He has actually really helped me in my financial decisions because he, he seems to talk about the, this, this Christian wisdom that comes out of him. And it's, it's really amazing. And so one of the things I was going to, if we had the projector, I would have showed my car at this point. But, um, you know, it's on here, a little small, or in the parking lot. And it's a red uh, Chevrolet Cobalt. And I really like this car. And my friends, they know I like this car because I talk about it at time. But I... I refuse to be normal with that car purchase. And that's what Dave talks about a lot, being normal or being weird. Normal or weird. What do we want to be with our money? Normal is tons of debt. And here are some fun statistics about the debt in America and Canada. That's, this is normal. This is what normal looks like. This is what you should do by, from the wisdom of the world. 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. There's more bankruptcy. I sh there's the idea that the government, hopefully the government takes care of me when I retire. Tons of money fights, one of the main reasons we divorce. Tons of car payments. As much house as I can buy. And here's a Canadian statistic that's probably going to scare you. For every dollar Canadians make, we owe 177 back. So every dollar we make in, we owe 177 on average. That to me sounds awful. But that's what Dave 
And that's what Dave thinks too. And he's sitting there going, that's normal. What, what is that? That is not a good idea. That's not, if that's what the culture is telling us, that's not smart. We, we, we need to find a different, an alternative. And that's where he talks being weird. So normal is what we see in commercials. It's what we see in movies. But here's what, something I realized. Remember those statistics I was sharing you with you? When, when the commercial comes into your TV or on your phone, you only see the flashy part of it. You don't see the back end, which is debt, right? So we see this beautiful car and this nice house, but we don't see the statistics. <laughs> so when you and I are being tempted by the lure of money to look at it and go, wow, this is really cool, think of the statistics. I think of Dave Ramsey yelling at you saying, wait a minute, that's normal and that sucks because of these statistics. Now, we also want to be careful to say that we obviously can have toys and we can have things that we like. But when we're constantly being hit by the culture and what the culture says about what normal is, let's remember these statistics because these are normal statistics. These are average statistics. This is just how it works. So we forget the back end so easily. So we have normal, we have weird here. And one of the things we will talk about later is cheerful giving. You can't see, but this is my car. It's very bad. It looks like an alien, like a kind of a ship, uh, a UFO maybe. So Basically, the call, the challenge is how can you and I be weird with our money? That's what we're going to be looking at today because normal is full of chaos. It's full of living paycheck to paycheck, divorces, not being happy, owing 177 on every dollar I make. That's normal, apparently. And I don't think that that's right. So let's just keep both those ideas, normal and weird, in our heads as we move forward. One of the things I want to start with, hopefully you at home um, can turn to Luke 12, 13 to 20 with me. And we'll dive right in. So that's Luke 12, 13 to 20. And what I would have done at this point, again, we would have had the scriptures up. But this gives you a great opportunity to bring out that leather-bound Bible, you know, and uh, get rocking with that. So we're going to be in Luke 12, 13 to 20. And uh, really excited to dig in with you. And if you have any comments on the verse or anything like that, you know, just throw them out there and we'll take a look. So I'll just read it and we'll get into the teaching. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. Uh, this is normal, right? This is what normal is. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, uh, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? No one's going to get that because it's in a, you've thrown it in a grain, uh, a big tube, whatever it is. You, you, you're keeping it. You're keeping it for yourself. You're building more of these, these capsules to keep all your money in, whatever it is. And who's, who's taking it? Who's, who's getting the benefit of it? And this, and then the last verse is, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This is normal. So this guy is the normal guy. This is what it looks like to be normal. I'm just going to store things up, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, pursuing more for himself. I want to I point um, sort of our attention to that last verse there. This is how it will be with whoever stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Really interesting here, rich towards God. 
What does it mean to be rich towards God? I want that saying to kind of get stuck in your mind. It doesn't mean you have a lot of money towards God. That doesn't make any sense. But why would God use, why would Jesus use that language? What it means to be rich towards God is it means treasuring God more than things here on earth. And this is our first point of application. Hopefully you can see this here. But the first point we want to talk about today is we prove to God we are rich to him by giving. That's the first thing that I think is happening here. Because Jesus is saying, how do you get rich towards me? I think it's by giving things away. Jesus also says something very fascinating in Matthew. He says this, you can't serve money and God. You can't serve both. That's pretty interesting. You cannot serve both. What does it mean to be in service of something? I think it's pretty interesting to think about this. Does your money jump up and demand of you things? It doesn't say do this, do that. Definitely not. But it finds a way inside your your heart, your eyes, and it starts to control how you buy and do things, which is what Ken mentioned last week, kind of with the glasses. You put the glasses on and all of a sudden you're thinking so much about money. Right? Tons of times we think, Here's what it would be to not be rich towards God. Here would be the normal guy. It would sound something like this. I can't wait to use all this money to benefit me, or this money is just going to benefit me and my family, and I can't wait for it to serve me. That's poor towards God, not rich towards God. Rich toward God is how I can maximize this money to make a difference. And I think there's a middle position, too, that I thought a little bit about that I, I think a lot of us find ourselves here. I'm wise with my money, but I still don't give it away. I think there's a middle position where a lot of us find ourselves where we're wise, we're trying to make smart decisions, but we're not in the habit of giving it out. And I think that's still not what God wants. That's still being lack, that's still be lacking in being rich towards God. That needs to change for us. We need to get away from the middle position. We need to prove to God that we value him more than money. And we do that by giving it away. And it's not a salvation thing. It's an obedience thing, saying, if, if I think it's in John, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so this is one of the commands that Jesus has for us. So you can show God you value him by giving. Here's the thing, though, about giving, is I don't think it feels good right away. And um, when I got back from school, my little life, right, I started it up. I got this little car. And what was interesting is when I started to tithe, my budgeting got better. I felt called to give even a little bit more if I needed support for a missions trip or something I would be willing to give it obviously within reason of myself I thought wait I think I can give a little bit more here very interesting and I, that's the, the that last part there kind of the joy piece is the next thing I want to hit on here an interesting clarification too is in the old testament they were obliged to give you and I were obliged to give a tithe and in the new testament What's so fascinating that Paul does here is he moves it from an Old Testament obligatory give to a joy-filled type of giving. And that is huge for us to try and understand about our money. So I want to turn to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 12. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 12. And there we're going to park and just learn about this generosity that Paul is talking about here. This joy that actually comes with giving. And I have started to experience that. And it started, I think it starts with the obligation, but it starts to transition into joyful, cheerful giving. So this is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 12. I'd love for you to join me there. Remember this, this is what Paul says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. There it is. God loves a cheerful tither, a cheerful, here you go. Not someone who's saying, how can my money, how can I be rich towards me? God's looking for people who, how can we be more rich towards God that are cheerful about it? That's where our affections and our emotions are so important. Paul is saying that's a part of what happens when we start to see the bigger narrative, when we start to see, wait a minute, our money's actually transforming lives. Our money's actually a divorce stopped. We stopped a divorce. It's a, it's a baptismal, it's a service, it's a whatever it is, it could be a changed life. That's where the joy comes from. So there's Paul, and I love this so much. We're supposed to give, it's replaced with joy. And the joy comes from understanding how impactful money can be and what it can do and how it can change lives and how it can stop divorces. You don't keep it. There's, you don't bring it. If you die like this young fool in, in Luke 12 and you just die, well, where does it go? What impact has it had? None. It's just in the grave. And uh, there's a funny song about that. Uh, one of these famous rappers um, and he talks about that, bringing your money to the grave. What does it do? You can't do that. So you want to be rich towards God, you start to give. And like Paul says, I love 2 Corinthians 9, because he says it's actually going to start becoming joyful. It's going to start becoming fun. You're starting to go, whoa, look at the impact it's starting to have. It's causing a ripple. That's so key for us to try and get here. And I think Paul loves cheerful givers. I think Jesus loves cheerful givers. And this is a challenge. That's a total challenge for us to start. Maybe you start with reluctantly giving. I did. It was, oh, I can't believe it. And now it's automatic. So I can't even, I can't even do anything about it. It's just coming out of the bank and it's making a difference. And that's so important for us. Okay. The next thing I want us to focus on. Um, well, first we're going to focus on Paul. I drew a great picture of Paul. I think my drawings are a little bit better than Ken's maybe. Even. You know, look at this thing right here. So, the next point I want us to get is this. Accountability is king. This is a huge point. I think privacy with our money and our income is a really fascinating thing. We, we don't talk about our income a lot. And I, I'm not saying we need to talk about how much we make. But I think we need to discuss a little bit about our, our giving. And I'm going to prove that through the Bible. So I'm not just going to say that and then not prove it. Uh, one, I just want to do a little background here on Paul. So this is Paul. He's walking down the street. I could have made a little Bible in his hand because he probably would have had that. So just so you know about Paul, this is why history matters. Okay, so Paul right here is a Pharisaic Jew. Okay, so he's a Pharisee and he's a Jew. And Paul actually probably had a lot of money because he had the, or he was great at memorization. Probably both because he memorized the whole Old Testament. So, so it's this crazy combination of money and wealth and all this stuff that Paul has Paul is rich that's sort of that's sort of what we can gather from this um, it's actually really interesting because in first and second Corinthians Paul says a couple things hitting at people who are skeptical of his conversion don't forget this guy killed Christians so all of a sudden you're walking down the street you see Paul he's murdering someone one day and the next day he's proclaiming Christ it doesn't make any sense so Paul we have this idea that they're skeptical of uh, his his conversion of him becoming Christian at all because he's a Jew who has a lot of money. It's like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. So 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Paul says a couple things. He says, by the way, I'm not a fraud. Just write, as he's writing in his letters, by the way, I'm not a fraud. Just so that everybody knows that when this letter circulates, they can know about me 
And I'm not a fraud. He says something like, I'm trustworthy with my money. So he's responding to the, the haters that are out there saying, Paul, you're actually not great with your money. I've seen you. I know what, I know what you're about, right? So he's trying to reassure everybody saying, wait a minute. I'm actually, I'm actually good with my money. I've gotten, I, I'm, I'm, I'm better with my money. I'm not what I used to be with my money. He did a 180. But what's interesting is he doesn't stop from collecting money for a church. So there's this great scenario where Paul is collecting money for a church and it doesn't stop him at all. So let's pick up the story there. We're kind of, it's so fun to get these biographical pieces because also why is Paul writing that? Why is he writing that he's not a fraud? Well, because people knew about him. So go, this guy's, this guy's making an impact. Why did he flip 180? He must be scamming people. He must be taking all their money. No, he's not doing that, but he's not scared about money. And I want to go back to that first point I made, accountability. This is where Paul brings accountability right into his life. Not to do with his income and how much he made, being a tent maker, how much he gives, or not even how much, how he gives at all. He brings accountability into his giving. And we're going to look at that here. It's in 1 Corinthians 16, I believe, uh, the collection for the saints, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. So turn with me there, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Yeah, you can see here, I wrote, he got accountability with his money. So 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, okay? So on the first day of every week, here's the obligatory part. Uh, each of you is to put something aside, still joyfully, right? And store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So let's get the collecting out of the way. When I come, I can pick it up. Here's what Paul is saying. When I arrive... I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. There's a church in Jerusalem that Paul wants to give this gift to. Okay? So it's a poor church. They're trying to get off their feet, whatever it is. And Paul wants to give this, this church this money. Here is so, this is the key, port, the key verse. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. They'll come with me. I'm going to bring people. It's not just for fun. We're not going to walk to Jerusalem together. It's so I don't steal the money. And so I don't take the money. If it seems advisable that I should go, they will come with me. Paul isn't doing this for company. Not, it's for the sake of everybody else. He's trying to say, wait a minute. One, I don't want to get tempted by this money. I, I was a Pharisaic Jew. I used to have lots of money. I had all these scrolls. I could read all Isaiah and all Genesis, and it was great fun. But I still might be tempted by that. And in Romans 7, he highlights that a little bit. It might be the sin within me that's pulling me. And so he's saying, wait a minute, I'm going to get some safeguards here. So the question is, for Paul, is, okay, wait a minute, I'm bringing people in. So it looks, one, it's stopping my heart from being tempted. And then two, I'm proving it to everybody else. I'm proving to everybody else that I'm someone who gives because I'm bringing people with me on this journey of giving. That's so important. So who is with you on the journey of giving? Who's coming with you? Who's being accountable to your tithe? Not how much you make, but like Paul, who are you saying, hey, I need help with this journey of giving. I got to go to Jerusalem to give this money, but I don't think it's possible. So I'm going to invite you in. I don't think I can give to the church right now. I'm going to try. Can you come with me? doesn't matter about how much we're making. It matters about if we're giving at all and bringing accountability right in. Paul had a former way of life that wasn't good. People definitely didn't believe in his transformation. And he's saying, I actually have totally changed. And just for your sake, I'm bringing 50 people with me on my walk all the way to Jerusalem so I can give the money myself and you can see it. That is so important for us to try and do. To say, wait a minute, 
are we giving? Okay, you're in this middle position, which we drew out earlier, which is just sort of this, yeah, I'm doing all right, but maybe I'm not so, I'm, I'm wise, but I'm not giving. This is where Paul would say, bring someone in to your circle and start to say, challenge me. What am I spending it on? Uh, my friend group got together a couple months ago just to talk about vision for our friend group, like just a vision sort of night around what it means to be a good friend group in this area. What do we want our DNA to be? One of the things we talked about was how we want to be excellent in all areas, including money. So we want to be good at in our tithes, in what we give. So we follow up. We talk. We have different conversations. A lot of us are saying, hey, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. You know, we're, we're getting to that age where we're making independent decisions with our finances, whatever it might be. And let's do this right. Let's challenge ourselves. So we came together and we started talking about how can we do finances well. So this is an exact thing that Paul would be talking about. Bring a friend group into this conversation, even a partner. So with Emily and myself, it's, hey, let's not do that right now. Let's not go out tonight. Let's try this. Let's. And for us, it's just been a conversation of we're just going to have this automatically coming off of our, out of our bank so that we can make, we don't have to make that decision. I mean, we have, but sometimes you're going, oh, I forgot or whatever. And so we're bringing accountability right in there by just talking about it. And with your friend group or with your family, this is what you need to do. Bring people in to that. Bring people into your giving. And um, I think that's really important for us to get here. So again, Paul isn't saying, tell me how much you make. It's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, get people in this journey with you. Get them coming, walking with you to Jerusalem and taking this little gift and saying, here, church, here you go. So that's the second point. So the first point, we prove to God that we're rich towards him by giving. And then we bring people in on the journey of giving so that we can stay accountable and stay focused on our mission and stay focused on our vision. Uh, our last point here is rich or poor, God is in control of our finances. And I think that's really important for us to get. So Luke 12, we're going to be back in Luke 12. And it's going to be uh, Luke 12, 32 to 34. And I love this verse. It's just been uh, something that's been really fun for me to read and feel safe by because it's just such a great verse uh, of safety, I guess you could say. So here's Luke 12. Jesus says this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's just amazing. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief, no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love this verse for so many reasons. Do not be afraid, little flock. That's me. That's us, right? Where this little, or is underlined that a million times. Do not be afraid, little flock. That's us, especially with our finances. It's amazing how he addresses the people of that time. I think he would do the same thing for us, especially right now. Do not be afraid, little flock. Father has, he's given you everything. So don't worry. Don't worry. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. So, I think that's the first thing I have been encouraged by is, is to never be scared, never be afraid of what's happening financially. Jesus says so. And this is something that I'm not necessarily, I'm working on, I'm getting better at. And I think he expects us, rich or poor, this is why I said rich or poor, to give joyfully, rich or poor. And there's a great verse that Paul mentions. Uh, it's in 2 Corinthians 8. And Paul is dealing with a church that's really poor. They're just not doing well uh, financially. 
And, and Paul is analyzing them going, why are they such givers? They're givers and they're poor. They're poor to their minds. They, they have no money. They have two cents to rub together. And they're giving it to me. Here's Paul. He says, 2 Corinthians 8, 1. This, this is exactly that. Those people who could have heard from Jesus, do not be afraid, little flock, because they, were, they had no money. They had nothing to rub together. And here is what Paul says. And now, brothers and sisters, this is 2 Corinthians 8.1, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up, welled up in rich generosity. That doesn't make any sense. They're, in a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in generosity. If you were to put that as like a math equation, one, one, one equals, that doesn't make any sense. Trials and joy, I guess that's the main piece there, plus poverty equals tons of giving. That makes no sense. But Paul is blown away by this church who wants to give a ton. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They're the little flock. They're terrified. They have no money. They're going through a trial. Who knows what that trial is? They're, they're joyful. They're totally poor. They have no money to give. And they're generous and joy-filled in their giving. They're, they're giving as much as they're able, even beyond their ability. That's the little flock. You and I are the little flock. Now, we might not be here, but right now we're kind of freaking out a little bit with everything going uh, down in the stock markets, whatever. It is kind of a timely message. Um, so we're thinking, going, wait a minute. That's us. That's you and me. And so there's this fun balance that we have to try and figure out between being crazy and being sensible. But when I look at these people that Paul is talking to, I go, wow, they, they were joyful in the trial. I, I'm, I'm assuming their trial wasn't any, it's probably the same as ours. It's just, it's, it's the same kind of idea here. And they're able to give generously. I love these little, these little clips that we can hit on in, in things like 2 Corinthians, especially. There's all these biographical things that Paul's telling about. I was here, I was there, and this church did this for me, and this place did this for me. There's such examples for us to grapple with, to wrestle with, and to be challenged by at the end of the day. So rich or poor, God was in control of this Macedonian, this little Macedonian church that had no money, and he's in control of us too. And I think that is important. Even now amongst the uh, coronavirus and things like that, God is in control of the finances. He's in control of this whole thing. And that's hard for us to get. And, and there's, a, there's a balance there that we're trying to strike for sure. But I think when I read this, I go, whoa, that's a challenge. I'm happy to give right now in the midst of this trial. They were in a trial. It wasn't easy for them, right? And so there's this, uh, this balance that we have to strike. I want to read a, a lovely story from this book. Uh, it's called A Savior, a Savior Worth Having. What a title, by the way. Uh, it's through the Billy Graham uh, Library, I guess, the publishing. E.V. Hill, Ed Hill. And I want to read the story from Ed Hill because it's totally inspiring. And um, it just makes me cry basically every time I read it. So it's, <laughs> hopefully I don't do that now. But uh, it's amazing. So e here's Ed Hill, and he uh, became a preacher. And before he got there, his mom said to him, you're going to be a preacher. You're, you're going to go to college. And don't forget, he was from a single, mom was the only one that was taking care of him. And they had no money. And here's the story. So one day, I'm just going to read it for you guys. So here is uh, Ed Hill on his journey with no money. When I was in ninth grade, mama got up in prayer meeting and announced, my boy is going to finish high school. Well, in that community, few Negro boys finished high school. 
Maybe you got to 10th grade, but then you were hired out by a white farmer. The deacons cautioned her not to get too big headed. That boy will finish 10th grade next year and you can hire him out. As big as he is for $2 a day, you can't tell here, but he's a big guy. So, um, and so I finished high school, president of my class, look at this, valedictorian, highest uh, academic student in my class, but he was the only one in the class. So he kind of got all those things that came with it. After my graduation, my mama got up from prayer meeting and said, my son's going to college. That's when a committee of church rulers, deacons, came over to mama and said, it's marvelous that your son finished high school, but this going to college then, you need to let him go to work. He can now get $3 a day. You don't have money. He doesn't have money. We don't have no, we don't have no money. And he ain't going to no school. Mama took me to the trailway bus station. Mama bought me a ticket. She had got me a dark suit, a couple pair of jeans, a couple pairs of jeans and shirts. She wrapped the rope around my suitcase and drew $5 from her purse and gave it to me and said, now go on to school. The Lord will make a way. And just before I boarded the bus, she said, I'll be praying for you. I can still see her waving goodbye as the bus pulled out of the station. I splurged on the way, I guess like food, and got to my destination with only 183 left. Then I had to pay a quarter to catch a bus down to the campus. I went straight to the registrar's office and got in line. The first thing I saw was a sign that said $83 cash, cashier's check, or money order. It's got 183. And the devil said, now which one do you have? Then I heard my mama say, I'll be praying for you. The devil said, don't be stupid. Get out of line. This is no prayer meeting, no sweet home. With all due respects to your mama, she ain't in control now. And again, I heard my mama saying, I'll be praying for you. So I just stayed in line and kept easing on up. I was one up on the de- when the devil said, you're next. Where, where, uh, what are you going to do now with that 138? But once again, I heard mama saying, I'll be praying for you. So with all my fearful misgivings, but with her assurance, I moved on. I was just about to step up when I felt a hand on my shoulder. And Dr. Drew said, are you Ed Hill? I said, yes, sir. He said, get out of line. Here I come all this way just to be denied my place. But he said, son, didn't you get the letter? We've been trying to contact you. We're giving you a four-year scholarship. They'll pay your tuition, room and board, and give you 35 a month for spending money. And once again, I heard my mama say, I'll be praying for you. I've heard something, and I've seen something. I've seen both negative and positive. I've seen the lightning flash. I've been through the rain and the storm. I know what it is to suffer, to not have, to want. Sounds so much like Paul here. I know what it is to be buffeted and scarred. I've been through the grinding machine. I've seen God open doors that no man could shut. I've seen God work many miracles. So this is the master I choose to serve. And what a a story and a testament there. An amazing story of this man who had no money. Mama had no money, right? That's what he keeps saying. But he heard mama saying, I'll be praying for you. Now, This doesn't happen all the time in our lives. We don't get these, sometimes we don't get these miraculous moments. It's not what we look for. But what this story shows us is that God has plans, bigger plans than your money. (laughs) Bigger plans than how much money you think you have, right? He didn't have any money. And a four-year scholarship was waiting for him. And he was tested all the way up to the last minute where he said, I got to stay in line. I don't know what's going to happen here. I got to stay in line. An amazing story of faithfulness there. And um, just a great reminder for us. Us little flock. Ed was a part of this little flock who felt terrified about having no money. And he made it. And then he became became a preacher and has had a big impact on me. And I really love this book. You can check it out too. Um, and I, I just think that's so important for us to remember. So just uh, to recap, we talked about a couple things today. First thing we talked about was, well, normal and weird. We want to be normal or we want to be weird. We want to be weird. We want to be weird with our money. We don't want to be normal because normal is 
bankruptcy and the back end of things that you don't see and unhappiness and sadness and broken lives. We want to be weird, actually. It's a good thing to be weird in this situation. The first thing we learned is you prove to God you're rich towards him by giving. It's the first thing. You start to give. And we learned a little bit about what happens when we move from obligatory giving to gener generous-filled giving, joy-filled giving. And after that, um, the next thing I want to touch on was accountability. So don't bring people into uh, not how much you make, but how you give, because Paul did. So bring people in to that aspect of your life. And the next thing is we're the little flock, right? You and I are this little flock, and Jesus addresses us that in Luke 12. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. And this story, the Ed Hill story, is such a great example about trusting God uh, when, it, when our finances might seem a bit, you know, kind of crazy. And I, I just wrote a prayer in preparation for the sermon. And I'll just pray it over us now as uh, we go forward. Um, and then we'll maybe go from there. Lord, we pray that you and you alone would become our master. That we would not serve another. That we would give eternally and be rich towards you. We pray, Lord, that our giving would become joyful in nature, just as Paul instructed us to do. Lord, I pray we would aim to be accountable with one another, to bring others along with us in the journey of giving, not in how much we make, but how we give. I pray, Jesus, that our hearts would not be envious of those who have more than we do, as being rich in our culture is looked upon in such a way that creates that phenomenon. Allow us to use our money to bless the kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.